But what did they do? They didn't set up the fact that the world is about normies. If y'all were gonna rip off music, why didn't you just rip off the opening number from Beauty and the Beast, which did what this opening number should have done, which is to say, no, bonjour, look at all these fucking normies running around everywhere. You know what we don't like in this town? Freaks. Boom! I fixed your movie, Disney! Like, you've already done it, Disney. What the fuck are you playing? Welcome to Mortified, the Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron. And I'm a circus elephant. Oh my god. (laughs) This week, we talk about the P.T. Barnum revisionist history musical, The Greatest Showman. Before we forget our children's birthdays and neglect our wives, remember you can help us on Mortify the Legitimacy Quest by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, signing up for our monthly newsletter through the link in our show notes, or following us on Twitter at MortifiedPod. Layla. <laughs> how, how, how did you like the movie? <laughs> so, I have this, I try in my everyday life not to actively dislike things. I try very hard that if I don't like something, I just put it down and I walk away. But there are three movies that I actively dislike. One is The Great Gatsby of 2012. Hate that movie. It's my most hated movie I've ever seen. The second one we'll have to is watch Aladdin 2019. Oh, fuck that movie oh. so hard. But yeah, sure, 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 sure. We'll rewatch it. Oh, second boy, one is boy. Aladdin 2019. And I believe the third one is The Greatest Showman. <laughs> okay. So I'm glad we've made <laughs> made it onto your auspicious list here. Um, it's very exciting. Uh, making mortified history already <laughs> right mm-hmm. there at the end of January. Mm-hmm. Um, should I? Do you want to try to do the summary <laughs> or should I? Well, you're choking, so I guess I can take it. Um, <laughs> the Greatest Showman is a, as you said in the intro, revisionist musical about P.T. Barnum, who is a real man that existed and had a real quote-unquote freak show and was a bad person. And in this one, we're supposed to like him, though the movie gives us no reason to. And it's about him not only founding his American Museum, which is where he had a bunch of curiosities, but then eventually how that museum became a circus, which is the, uh, the Barnum Circus. <laughs> the Wikipedia describes it as a human zoo. <laughs> Yeah. Uh-huh. And you so. know what's... The bad aspect of it wasn't even the worst part of this goddamn movie. So. That's... Yeah. Zac Efron's there. That was nice. Zendaya's there, too. It's, it's a, oh. And Hugh Jackman as the leading man. So it's got a lot of stars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. So, so last night I watched this film with my wife. Um, oh, you put uh, you put your wife through this. She asked to. Uh, okay. I warned her ahead of time, um, but she was determined to not let me watch this alone, for which I am grateful. Um, 
and about every mm, 30 minutes i would check my watch to see how much was left in the movie and it just it got increasingly shorter the intervals at which i was checking my watch and it seemed like the movie was adding time every single time i checked my watch um and not only that but i had to begin watching it through my fingers because i was so physically in pain trying to consume this media because there are so many cringeworthy moments so many bad lines so many questionable performances so many capital c choices uh it was hard to digest yeah i would like to segue into our usual character rundown with the first choice that bothered me capital c choice hugh jackman wouldn't close his fucking mouth did you notice that? In okay. every single scene, he, he just, like, was inviting a fly to come fly down his windpipe. Like, his mouth was never fully closed. And I disliked this movie so much that that's the kind of, the level of detail that I started to notice. I couldn't be distracted by the movie long enough not to notice the fact that Hugh Jackman wasn't closing his mouth ever. Okay, so we are going to be referencing Jenny Nicholson, the YouTuber's video, probably throughout this episode. So definitely go watch her video. Um, I think it's titled, uh, the, I Hate the Greatest Showman More With Every Moment, or something like that. Uh, but uh, she points out this as well, uh, Layla, and she theorizes that it's, it's because he's so happy to be in a musical that he just isn't aware that he's making this lopsided grin the whole time because he's just so psyched. Um, and I love that theory. And I mean, it's true, right? Hugh Jackman, like after his, you know, many performances as, um, Wolverine, uh, has just like done musical shit, um, once he got paid. And like, I love that for him. And like, my understanding that is that he's an okay, like he's like a, I mean, he's performed on Broadway. So like, he's apparently good enough to do that. I don't know what happened here. Um, but yeah, I I just you know what if you Mr. Jackman if you're if you're having a good time you know Godspeed God bless you you're I won't say you're doing amazing but I'm glad you're happy. That's the thing though, right? Is Hugh Jackman is visibly having a great time, and usually when actors have a great time visibly, such as the Death Note movie that I am still going to try to make you watch. You will fucking watch the Netflix Death Note movie because Elle is the only actor in there that is having fun. That usually delights me. I enjoyed that performance because that young man was having fun. I usually really like Hugh Jackman in things. I like his Broadway career. I love that he loves musicals. I love musicals. But... Even this fictional P.T. Barnum is a bad person. And not fun to watch. Even if he doesn't actively kidnap people and purchase their livelihoods, um... He was still, like, the character they wrote was still bad. He was still a bad guy. (laughs) He forgets his daughter's birthday, and when he gets reminded of his daughter's birthday, makes her a great value disco ball out of a candle and, like, a lampshade, which they keep is, like, supposed to be a memento throughout the movie. What are you doing? 
doing? So that happens. Um, he never asks his wife for permission to do any of his crazy stunts at all. He doesn't consult her about their, like, mutual assets at all. And I was, like, there was never a point of relief clearer for me than when at the end of the movie she goes, I never minded the risk, but at least we were always in it together because he didn't ask her about taking out a loan that fucking bankrupted them. I was like, finally, somebody acknowledges this financial abuse that's happening uh what else did he do he uh the way he tries to get letty the the bearded lady into his show is he like finds her at work he goes where he's not supposed to go to find her at work where she's like a laundress and she's singing and he just stands there and goes you're beautiful and I'm like, bitch, she doesn't, she doesn't need your validation, only to later shut the door in her face after his, uh, uh, the people in his show were made him famous enough to get, like, an actual singer. He didn't let them come to the fucking party. What? Like, yeah. this fictional P.T. Bar. Oh, and how could I forget? When his, when his actors are being hate-crimed outside of his fucking door, what does he do? But he opens the door and goes, hey, that's enough. Like, wow, hero! Somebody give him a medal! Standing up for the marginalized! What a fucking champion for the movement! Yes! Give us nothing! Give us nothing! <laughs> like, what do you- Who? What? I hate him. I hate him. I hated watching him. I- I honestly, maybe cre credit to Hugh Jackman, because I forgot it was Hugh Jackman. And I just started hating fictional P.T. Barnum. Yeah, I mean, that's a valid take, though. Um, you know, like, if Jackman is able to disappear into this bad character well enough, I mean, more power to him. Um, we didn't even get into the he almost cheats on his wife um, zone, but we'll get there with Jenny Lind. Um, we should talk about Charity real quick. Um, the whole conflict in this film is that, like, so P.T. Barnum is in love with this girl, Charity, but she comes from a rich family. He's this Taylor's son. So, like, he's always, like, trying to romance her, and, like, throughout the film, you know, we, we see their romance develop. Well, we we see their courtship, which, is like, starts when they're both 10, and, like, you know, when he's 25, he, he marries her. But, like, there's a 10-minute song called A Million Dreams, where they, they go through his evolution, where he starts as this 10-year-old boy, and, like, he, you know, is sending letters to Charity's finishing school. Is he supposed to know how to write? Um, apparently, yes. Um, he's a little broke Victorian homeless boy. <laughs> Literally Victorian, because they go meet the Queen, Queen Victoria at one point. We, um, no, that's a whole separate discussion. Do not bring that okay, scene into right. the All right, we'll talk about Victoria about in a sec. Uh, and then where the fuck is she sending the letters back? He doesn't yeah. have an address. <laughs> Dear Postman, there is a little skinny uh, trash child. Bring this to him. You'll know the one. Sincerely, Charity. <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah, anyway, so they're sending these letters back and forth, and then all of a sudden they're both grown up. Um, there was no, like, in The Lion King, right, they have that stage where Simba is baby Simba, and then, like, teen Simba, and then adult Simba. They skip the teen Simba zone, and they just go straight to fucking 50-year-old Hugh Jackman, um, which is awesome, and I love. Um, he's like, you know, it only took me 25 years to get here, but I'm, I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to marry you. It's like, sir, 
I know you didn't go to school, but you gotta know that you're not 25. <laughs> you gotta learn some counting along the way, brother. <laughs> um, it's great. Um, and like the whole the whole conflict is that like like you said, right? They're they're trying to make their way in the world. They're trying to be rich and like pt barnum's whole deal is like he wants to be rich enough to impress charity's family and like be respected because he didn't come from anything um and like pretty pretty soon after that like we introduced we're introduced to their daughters um who i do not know their names of one of them does ballet um that's about it uh mm-hmm. So they're they're fine. They do some really wild exposition or uh, business advice at one point. <laughs> they're like, "Hey, they hey a dad!" Whole crash marketing course, and I don't understand which. And the writers try to like cover it up in this really weird way. We're like, we don't know how children talk, but then uh, uh, one of the girls is like, "You need something." What the fuck is the word that she uses? Uh, sensational. You need. You need something sensational. You need something alive. And then the way they cover up the fact that these two little girls don't sound like little girls is they're like, uh, uh, Hugh Jackman's like, oh, where did you, sensational, where did you learn that word? And then it goes, from you, daddy. And I'm like, oh, fuck off. Like, I have a pretty, I have a pretty high tolerance for corny bullshit, but like, uh, this one really pushed me to the limit. Um, at some point, Zephron, uh, formerly known as Zac Efron, um, shows up and he like becomes P.T. Barnum's partner and like his parents are rich and racist and I guess that's why he joins uh, P.T. Barnum and they become friends and he becomes like the, the person who saves the the thing in the end but we'll get there. Um, mm-hmm. There's a bunch of shitty rich people who are various people's parents. Um, there are the circus performers, right? You mentioned the bearded woman. Um, there's uh, Zendaya and her brother who do trapeze. Uh, Jenny Nicholson points out that there's two vaguely asian men who are probably supposed to be conjoined twins but um at no point do they show them being like physically attached they're just sort of standing next to each other all the time they're standing Um, next to each other or they have their arm around one another as if they're supposed to be cgi to be conjoined later but then they just ran out of budget because they were too busy doing fucking elephants they had a substantial elephant budget, which is great, and I loved. Um, uh, yeah, and Zendaya has a relationship with um, Zac Efron, and it's entirely really, telepathic. Yeah, it's completely without conversation. It's great. They just look. They just exchange meaningful glances, and by the end, they're like she like waits at his bedside when he is hurt in the fire. It's really stupid. Um, Shall we talk about the music in this alleged musical? Um, we can. We <laughs> we certainly can, Aaron. How did you feel about the music? So, <laughs> the one song that I knew from this show mm-hmm. is the title song, The Greatest Show. And the reason that I know it is because of the virtual reality game Beat Saber, <laughs> um, which I had... Um, Last year, I tried to use to help me get fit for my wedding um, when I, we were in lockdown, uh, and I and I played the greatest show, uh, the Panic version, not the Hugh Jackman version, on Beat Saber quite a lot. So I was very excited. I was like, "Oh yeah, this is a pretty good song." And then we get fucking Hugh Jackman's like lifeless, uh, poorly sound mixed, as you mentioned in your notes, version of this song, and I was like, "Oh, this show is gonna be a fucking disaster." I'm so ready for it. <laughs> 
The uh, sound effects and the music are so loud, and the vocals aren't. Why? Hugh Jackman's not a bad singer, and the whole point of musicals is that the songs carry the story, you know? You have your intro song, which sets up the world, which, hey, The Greatest Show fucking doesn't. It doesn't set up the world at all. What does it do? And nothing. It's just there to be a reprise at the end. And then, of course, you have your I Want song, which never ends, which is Million Dreams. And then the rest of the, dare I say it, too many songs in this musical. Yeah, I think you're completely right, which is bizarre. Right, right you never like, think like, you're going like, to say like it. Like you said, like the, the songs don't carry the story forward, right? Like... The other side, which is the thing where he meets Zephron and they become partners, is just sort of a shitty devil take the hindmost, um, where it's just like, ah, we're going to strike a deal and it's going to be a lot of bargaining and and we're going to do shots and it's going to be, you know, a fun time and we're going to negotiate. And like, I guess it becomes plot relevant at the end, but like, you know, it doesn't really do anything. Never no, enough. It doesn't. Uh, the oh. Jenny Lynn song is... You know, Jenny Lynn, whoever plays Jenny Lynn, is a great actress. Although, or singer, actually, Jenny Nicholson pointed out she does not um, actually uh, sing. So the actress who, who does it doesn't actually sing uh, the song, which is uh, a choice. Um, but, you know, I think it, it was sung well. I think it's fine. But it's, again, a little bit on the nose. Because um, this is the part where P.T. Barnum gets obsessed with Jenny Lynn and trying to, you know win people's adoration and respect and um you know that's it's it's just a little bit they they think the audience is incredibly stupid um which is is great um this is me is we'll get to this is me and from now on because those did actually work for me which is unfortunate um Rewrite the Stars is very much like, ah, your parents are racist. And he's like, but I don't care. Um, that's the Zephron uh, Zendaya contractually obligated to have one song featuring the the two other famous people in it. Um, again, it that's the only thing that really sets up the romance, even though they don't really do any interactions outside of it. Um, the songs are they're pretty disappointing, in my opinion. <laughs> Well, the thing about the songs that drives me fucking nuts is that they all... Have you ever heard that song that is uh, in a made-up language but is supposed to sound like English? And it sounds so much like English that you feel like you're having a little bit of a stroke when you're listening to it? I haven't heard the song, but I've seen, like, videos like that. Okay. There is a song. I'm pretty sure it's sung by, like, a German band. And it is a nonsense language. It is supposed to sound like English, and it does. And you're sitting there, you're like, I feel like I'm supposed to understand this, but I don't. That is what this music feels like to me. Because for every fucking song, I could find you a mid-2000s pop equivalent. Like, I was sitting there, I was like, this sounds like a Mumford & Sons song. This sounds like a Katy Perry song. This sounds Never Enough is an Adele song. The fucking, the fact that Panic at the Disco even covered The Greatest Show just points out how much of a Panic at the Disco song it is. There was another song in there that I'm like, this sounds like that Brandy Carlisle, um, it's the song... It's not called Hard on Your Sleeve. I forget what it's called. It's a bop. I love that song. But, like, every time I heard a song in this show, I'm like, this sounds like a song I used to listen to in middle school. And it is 
killing me that now I can't name the song that is getting stuck in my head as a result of this other song I'm listening to. It was like, it was, it, it was giving me a headache. There was a point in the movie, and I'm pretty sure it was Rewrite the Stars, where I paused the movie and I'm like, Kelly Clarkson had to have had a duet power ballad because there's a song at the tip of my fucking tongue that is this close to the surface that sounds exactly like Rewrite the Stars, and it's this, like, big female pop vocalist, and I can't... I literally took seven minutes out of my life to research if Katy Perry or Kelly Clarkson had a duet, and they don't. And you know what the only thing that stopped me from continuing to dig was? Was knowing that the longer I pause the movie the more movie i still had to watch yeah yeah that's about right <laughs> um and zephron honestly that listen the choreo is a whole different conversation but i my ass was so clenched during rewrite the stars because zach efron had no consideration for Zendaya's safety. He was just like no. jumping on the rope. Yeah, just like messing with the tennis. counterweights, just like oh. trying to throw her off her routine in like a romantic, passionate way, but also in a way that could have like snapped her spine in eight places. Like, hey bro, maybe don't mess with the trapeze artist while she's on the trapeze, sir. Right. And the whole thing is like super VFX and like obviously there's like stunt doubles and body doubles and whatever. And but, you know, you're watching it and you're like, don't jump. And then he jumps and you're like, no. And you're distracted by that the whole time. Yeah, like it was it was very harrowing just to watch them do this dance number that, that could have killed either of them at any moment. Um, also, just, what? Just, now I'm thinking about the choreography. There's a point in A Million Dreams, which is a ballad. There's a ballad. There is a point where, after they get married, Charity and fictional P.T. Barnum do this dance on this rooftop. And it's supposed to be romantic. But when the meter of the song is like, I don't know, 60 beats per minute. I'm guessing here. Please don't fucking come for me. Why are we doing choreo in double time where we are running, sprinting across this rooftop, doing tosses, doing lifts, doing spins, doing aerials, doing sweeps? I'm like, this doesn't match the energy of the song at all. And this happens at almost every point in the, almost any song that has choreography, it doesn't match the song at all. At all. That that rooftop scene was so frenetic and, like, chaotic that it reminded me more of the first Sasuke Naruto fight on the roof of the hospital with all the sheets. <laughs> I was just like, I'm so distracted. Fictional P.T. Barnum. I had this thought yesterday after I read your notes. I hate fictional P.T. Barnum more than I hate Sasuke. That's pretty good, but also fair because um, Sasuke has a lot of flaws um but he didn't he didn't own slaves which is cool yeah um, that's a step up and also he only neglects one daughter whereas pt barnum neglects two yes intensely uh and his wife which i mean sasuke also neglects his wife. yeah i mean but, sasuke uh, is an anti-wife guy just like pt barnum <laughs> um i mean i don't know there's just 
there's so many choices and there's like weird narrative beats that did not make any sense like okay so they set up that like his whole motivation is to like get back at charity's parents like at one point like they're having a big fancy meeting uh i think this is like right right after the jenny lind concert or whatever or whenever they're meeting the queen or some shit but like basically he's just like oh you showed up to uh, my show, uh, my wife's parents who never approved of me. Uh, isn't that something? Well, now I'm rich. Eat shit. Um, and, you know, she's she's like kind of embarrassed that he did that to her parents, but it's whatever. And like, I was kind of thinking, I was like, okay, at some point he's going to lose all his money and th- th- that's going to be the lowest point. But like, I figured like, okay, maybe this would show like that they had learned something like maybe they would be like okay hey you know what you're a dick and you're kind of a weirdo but you're right you make our daughter happy we're gonna help we're gonna help you and that's gonna resolve our conflict or like with zephron's parents right like they're gonna at first they were like being racist at zendaya but maybe at the end they would be like okay we can see how much this woman makes you happy um and you're you've become successful without us so we're gonna help uh fund this this uh circus thing or whatever um that 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 just doesn't happen right there is no struggle pt barnum never has problems making money except at the end he's always just like and then i was successful like there's the part where he opens up his shitty museum of just like stuffed things and like nobody comes to that but that that's like two days and then he's like okay well i'm just gonna recruit some randos and now i'm gonna be instantly successful like the 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 character that the story arcs are just like mcdonald's they just go up and down all over the place it's it's astonishing yeah i mean like and uh, the movie relies a lot on teleportation (laughs) which makes the plot points even worse somehow because um They were just like, let's go see the Queen of England, which, hey, my grandma called me during that scene. I have no idea why the fuck they went to see the Queen of England, because I refused to rewind. I refused. My grandma called me, I took the call while the movie was playing, and I would not rewind. And that's okay, because it's not like it made any more sense with the fucking audio that I was missing. Because they were just like, let's go see the Queen of England. Next, they're just in the hall. Smash cut to Buckingham Palace. They're just there. They're just there, just like in in uh, uh, a million dreams. Smash cut! All of a sudden, the little boy is Hugh Jackman, and we're supposed to have somehow made the connection that the little boy was Hugh Jackman. Um, they teleport all over the place. Even even uh, 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 when Hugh Jackman goes to get his wife back at the end of the movie, he like hops on a train, but then smash cut, teleport. He's at the house. I'm like, bitch. <laughs> What? <laughs> Sierra made the point that, um, so, like, they, they've set up a, a point that when Hugh Jack, or Hugh Jackman, I guess, um, first makes a lot of money, he buys a big mansion right next to Charity's parents' house. Um, and when he goes to jump on this train, Sierra's like, why is he jumping on a train to go down the street? What the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> he's going into, like, a mountain range. Like, we are made to believe he's going across the country, but then he teleports anyway. Just like he teleports to the theater all the time. He teleports to the fucking, uh, there's teleportation to the hospital. There's teleportation from just, like, scene to scene. I'm like, I was getting stressed out trying to puzzle together how much time, excuse me, literally anything was taking. And it just, and like, like you brought up the parents, you know, he goes to get Charity back 
And the dad opens the door and he is just as much of a dick as he was before, if not worse. We never follow up with Zephron's parents. He just, like, becomes, uh, spoiler, the owner of this carnival now. I'm like, nothing wraps up. No one learns anything. It's like, the, and the only reason Hugh Jackman even kind of learns anything is because of a giant plot hole we're in. We don't ever see him having a conversation with his performers, and yet when his wife dumps him and he's broke because of Jenny Lind, which that was a whole fucking thing in and of itself, they come to cheer him up when he is drinking. What has this man ever done for you? He locked you out of a fancy room. What? He pays you poorly to be made fun of in front of people um and he told the crime that the crowd that was about to murder you to please go away (laughs) like he's he's a bad person and under no circumstances should you be going to cheer him up after he is ruined except for the fact that i suspect if this sort of thing actually happened in real life it would be because they need to get their money (laughs) I mean, they even said that a couple of times. They're like, well, we can't afford for you to be, uh, for you to be normal now or something. Whatever the fuck Letty said at the end. But, uh, yeah, what the fuck are y'all doing cheering him up? So they go cheer him up and he he launches into, um, was it Never Again is the name of the the last song? It's From Now On. From Now On, yeah. Which, like you said, I'll, I'll give it this. From Now On works. From Now On works. It worked for me. I didn't like it. Because I hated the movie and we were too late for me to have my own emotional arc wherein I turned around. That train done left the station just like P.T. (laughs) Barnum. Just like P.T. Barnum's train went into the mountains. I was in the mountains. And uh, uh, it just, you know, that song works. But like his, he didn't learn anything. He was just told. That these were his flaws. And he goes, oh no, these are my flaws. From now on. Fuck you! What did you learn? Nothing. Not a thing. Not a thing. (laughs) Um, There is... Before we get to the part where I'm ashamed of myself, we should also probably address the fact that um, this movie technically addresses issues of racism and ableism. Um, but because it's, like, a semi-Disney property, it, it hints at it, but it never states outright, like, oh, real quick, though, what year do you think this is taking place in? Uh, or or do you know the answer? uh, It's, it's, like, mid-19th century, right? Like, 1840s? Yeah, it's, it's 1852, according to Jenny Nicholson. Um, Mm -hmm. so, like... Pre-Civil War, pre-U.S. Civil War. Um, So you're living in a profoundly racist society. Um, And, like, the whole problem with Zendaya and Zephron's quote-unquote relationship is that his parents don't approve because she is black and he is white and they look down upon that. But they don't ever... They're not like, oh, hey, black people can't come to the theater. Or, like, hey... Um, it's illegal for black people and white people to get married, which, like, I actually don't know the history of miscegenation laws as well as I would like. Um, I suspect they're actually probably post-Civil War, um, so maybe, maybe that was legal back in the day, but, like, 
They never say outright, like, oh, we don't want black people and disabled people here. His parents are just like, oh, you have no shame going out with the help. And it's just like, okay, uh, like, and like your, your parents are supposed to like divine, like, okay, that obviously is a euphemism, um, for, for racism. And that's why Zephron and Zendaya aren't supposed to be together in this society. But like, if you're a kid, which I suspect this show is primarily aimed towards, if you're like somebody who is not who has not thought a whole lot about the history of racial relations in the 19th century in America, you're probably going to be like, wait, why don't they like her? They, I don't understand. And like, it's, I don't know. They, and they never, and they never resolve it. It's just like her, her parents never come back, which I guess is fine. Like the, and the only like, you know, the only way they address ableism is when the, the best scene in the, the movie where, the racists uh, attack the theater and all the performers beat the fuck out of them because you should not get in a fight with somebody who is an acrobat. Um, but like, they don't ever talk about, you know, the weird ways in which P.T. Barnum definitely uh, abused and uh, exploited his workers, which like, you know, it's a, it's a kid's movie. They're not going to. But like, they don't really address why people don't like them besides the fact that the bearded lady has a beard. And like the Zendaya and... Uh, her brother, they just say they won't they won't like it if you put us up there. They don't explain they don't explain why, they just say that. It's they just it's bad. It's so bad. But that's the thing too, right? Like, so you This movie rides on the implication that our society isn't changed enough that you could make these things obvious without explaining them, especially to a younger audience, right? Especially the bearded lady thing where it's like, he opens a thing, it's like, oh, she has a beard. It's like, okay, but we live in a world where kids are more exposed to non-traditional gender presentation. Like, you need to say, oh no, a bearded lady, you know? It needs to happen. You need to say it, but not in a way that implies that bearded ladies are bad, just in a way that implies it's an abnormality for this time period, which is what normally you would use the fucking opening number for. But what did they do? They didn't set up the fact that the world is about normies. If y'all were gonna rip off music, why didn't you just rip off the opening number from Beauty and the Beast, which did what this opening number should have done, which is to say... No, bonjour! Look at all these fucking normies running around everywhere. You know what we don't like in this town? Freaks! Boom! I fixed your movie, Disney! Like, you've already done it, Disney! What the fuck are you playing at with this Panic at the Disco-ass bullshit with the sloppy choreography and the fucking CGI elephants? I don't understand it. This is so sloppy from toe to tip. And I just couldn't take my eyes off the cheap velvet on his lapels! Okay. Aaron, Aaron, sorry, I didn't sorry, like sorry. Uh, you you said that Abel called all the Todd's people normies, and then I blacked out. I meant that whatever. Um, she didn't call them normies, but the whole song was about the fact that they're normies, and oh, Bell's weird because she reads. The movie came out in the nineties. 
everyone, you know, the literacy rates are much higher than they were in, in the, the kind of like vague time period that this movie takes place in. Girls reading isn't weird. That song points out that in this society, it's weird. Just like it should have introduced all of the performers we were going to meet in their respective settings before P.T. Barnum got to them. And then, you know what? Fuck it. Another thing. Oh, God. (laughs) I hate this shit. If you were going to make a fucking movie that is quote-unquote about fictional P.T. Barnum... Why would you use this real thing that happened? You could have made a movie about, you know, people with deformities or quote unquote freaks being, finding community in a circus. You could have done that and you didn't have to use P.T. Barnum. In fact, you could have used Zephron. You could have even used Hugh Jackman. You could have made a different character that was like fictional P.T. Barnum, but wasn't actual. Fictional P.T. Barnum. This is the same beef I have with that fucking Anastasia Broadway adaptation where they were like, hey, we know this revisionist-ass movie is already historically inaccurate, but what if we, like, did a 180 and made this revisionist-ass movie even more about the revolution? Why? Just make a musical about the revolution. Why do you need to do this with a person who existed and died as a child? I do not understand. Have we forgotten how to make up fictional people? I can make up a fictional person right now. Like, here, here's this roll of tape. I'm going to say this roll of tape combined with this uh, Isaac Mizrahi loves Revlon uh, (laughs) case. This is now David. David is a, um, he was a mushroom spirit that got kicked out of his home (laughs) and is now... Is now occupying my fucking house because I had a plant that had a fungus in it. Okay? This is what we're gonna do. Here, I just made up a new person. Fucking, it's not hard. Just do it. It just, why are we doing this? I'm so angry. Make something new. Anything new. I'm begging here. I'm on hands and knees. Figuratively. I can't be on my knees. My knees hurt. I'm old. But like, (laughs) I hate this. I hate this. So, uh, after Layla had that break from reality, uh, I would like to talk about- (laughs) I would like to talk about the part where the movie made me cry. (laughs) Um, Oh no. So, um, I'm a bad person. We should start with that. Uh, I have- I generally like some media, which other people would call shitty- um, mm-hmm. I I love Lincoln Park very much, and Imagine Dragons as we've no, we're not going to talk shit about Lincoln Park on this podcast. We love Lincoln Park on this podcast. There we go. Hell yeah, this is why we're friends. Um, but other people would probably like say that the some of the stuff I like is bad, uh, and that is in my willingness to tolerate bad stuff is in no other place clearer than here when both from now on and like the whole just like end of the musical did make me a little teary and i need to i guess defend myself let's start from from now on basically as we've established throughout this whole conversation the whole premise of this show is bunk from the beginning because it shows constantly pt barnum mistreating and neglecting and exploiting his workers who are minorities um both racial and uh, because of their disability. Um, 
but just seeing a group of marginalized folks in a bar having fun um, after, you know, almost a year of not being able to be together with people and have a good time in one space, like, that kind of got to me. And I was like, you know what? I wish that, like, this was, you know, a thing that we could actually do safely now. Just, like, have a good time with some people who, you know, are down on their luck, but, you know, found family is a great trope, and it's it's nice to watch people celebrate each other. And that, you know, that got me a little bit. Yeah, and- I'm, yeah. I mean, I, you know, same. I've been in isolation forever, and uh, watching that party scene did make me a little emotional. Didn't erase the <laughs> other bad feelings I was having, but I feel you. Yeah, yeah. Um, the second part, uh, was just, like, sort of the general end where P.T. Barnum has his reconciliation. He's like, okay, I get it. I went all in on Jenny Lind, and, uh, she tried to make my wife think that, uh, I cheated on her, even though, and I definitely wanted to, but I didn't. Um, and, you know, that's, the whole thing is about me coming back to my family, being happy with the, with what we've got, which happens to be a lot of money, um, and, you know, he he goes to his daughter's uh, ballet performance, and one of them is, like, a prima ballerina, and the other at seven years old, and she's great, and her his, his other daughter is a tree, which is the only good joke in that movie. Um, and I, I, that was nice. Um, but, like, in general, like, the rest of the night, I was just like, oh, Sierra, I want you to know that I appreciate you and care about you, uh, largely because we just watched this movie about a man who wholly neglects his family, uh, and doesn't do anything right, and it made me very worried about the state of my own marriage. And I was like, "Is that me? Is this person I'm supposed to empathize with me?" And I'm I'm doing this unconsciously to my wife. Of of uh, you know, we're gonna be have been together for ten years in February. Uh, is that am I doing a PT Barnum? And I was just like, I just want you to know I care about you. Um, not like PT Barnum who doesn't care about his wife who he allegedly courted for a decade. So yeah. yeah, that's why I got emotional during this movie because I'm easily emotionally manipulated. No, that's completely fair. Listen, I'm not. I'm not gonna deny you your your beautiful tears. We're we're here to feel things. That's okay. Um, like I said, the party scene did get me a little bit because I too wish to be at a party. I would love to be at a party. I would give anything to be in a house with more than six people that I know. With, I don't know, alcohol and good time and jokes, ambiance, food, you know, party things. I would love that for myself. Because the closest thing I've had to that experience in the last year and a half has been the election and New Year's when we played Jackbox games. Yup. Same. (laughs) Um, That's been it. Which, by the way, we do need to play uh, um, Talking Points again. That was delightful but uh that rolled yeah yeah it's listen that's fair i get that i get that i do it's fine um me i was teleported into a theater from 2012 and 2019 respectively where i paid to watch the great gatsby and aladdin and time ceased time Uh. slowed to just a 
irreparable crawl, just a sluggish fucking wasteland of me getting so angry and nitpicky that I started to get mad about the color blue of the scarf that Charity was wearing in the reconciliation scene because it looked bad against the sunset. That's the fucking state of mind I was in. Great. I'm glad we managed to watch this movie in a healthy and normal way. Absolutely, yeah. A completely normal reaction to have to a film. I haven't been trapped inside my house for 11 months at all. Yeah, it's great and good. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Do you have any other points you want to hit? Uh, no, I want you to address the sequel. Yeah, so <laughs> I think we probably dodged a bullet uh, thanks to Disney. Um, listen, I think we're, we're both pretty anti-monopoly here, but like Disney did buy 20th Century Fox. Um, so, like, apparently the distribution company um, was owned by 20th Century Fox. And, like, I think Disney recognizes that, like, I don't know, this this film... I mean, this film made a fuck ton of money, though, is the thing, right? It had a budget of $85 million, and I think they made $435 million. So, like, it was... It was an astonishing success. So, like, I'm not saying that the sequel is dead because of Disney's purchasing of Fox. I, I am hoping that is the case, but, like, you know the mouse, and the mouse loves a sequel. If there is a sequel, the only way I'm watching it is in a post-vaccine world where I drive my ass to, like, a halfway point between New York and Indiana, and we find a matinee for $2 and watch it together and scream at the screen the whole time. That is the only way. I mean, My I don't know. <laughs> Sierra was saying like, oh, hey, it's it's eight hours from where we live to Buffalo. Like, that's that's doable. We could. That's a four-hour trip. I mean... Is that how we're going to watch King Kong versus Godzilla? It might It might be. <laughs> we might just take a road trip. Um, in, a, in a post-vaccine world, the hell yeah! <laughs> Yeah, you know what? Just the the border of Ohio and I guess West Virginia or what's north of West Virginia? That's very south. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Somewhere um, in Ohio, I'm guessing. Would be probably in Ohio, yeah. Cleveland. You know Cleveland is four hours from from. Maybe I'll see you in Cleveland and we can watch King Kong punch <laughs> Godzilla. Me, you, and Travis McElroy. <laughs> Hell yeah, that's the dream team. We'll, I'll, I'll at him. Um, we'll see if we can get something set up. Oh, oh, he would too. Gravy. He's chaotic enough. Yeah, but, he uh, might. He might. Literally, he might do that. He's a wild man. Um, <laughs> we're like, hey, we're not inviting you, but if you were to be there, if you were to be there, it'd be sick. Um, be we're fellow so podcasters, so I think it'd be a good opportunity for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll really we'll do a, a promo promo for promo. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it. Uh, I like listen. I I deserved this after some of the shit I put you through. I'm not going to say I didn't. That's probably my first thought after finishing this motion picture was I deserve this. But by god, holy hell. Hugh Jackman deserves better musicals. Somebody go write a better musical for Hugh Jackman, please. Please. He he's a sweet man. He deserves much better than this trash. Um yeah. Yeah, um, you know, we we, ch- we tend to, like, try to watch stuff that we enjoy and like to, to on this podcast. This is a podcast about celebrating things that we hope the other will like. 
Um, but sometimes we just got gotta get in that that mud and roll around in it with the CGI elephants. Yo, sometimes, yeah, but sometimes you just need like a Hugh Jackman picking up his daughter on a CGI elephant to really just. He took the elephant home to pick his kids up from school. <laughs> so, <laughs> so much. It's so much. So good. Uh, yay, 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 yay. Oh, uh, um, what are what are we doing next week? I I'm pretty sure we're doing uh, Age of Calamity. Okay. Uh, the new okay. Legend of Zelda game. Well, new right. new esque. The newest. The most yep. recent. Yep, I was uh, I was working on that this weekend, so I should have it done. Um I also finished Greece this weekend, so we'll talk Ooh, about that in, in yes. a while. Yes, I love Greece. Um, Greece, not like the '50s musical Greece, as in G R I S, which is a platformer. Yeah, important clarification. Is <laughs> <laughs> a, a platformer, a very beautiful platformer that we recommend. Um, well, that I recommend at least. But yes, it's uh, uh that's what we're doing next week. Aaron, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on the internet at Aaron S X L. You can also find my other podcast uh, at MB, MBF, and me. Um, I think our final episode of the uh, Narnia trilogy should be going up uh, soon. It the Don Treader was a really bad movie, and but also we get some incredible revelations about my co-hosts, which is really funny. Um, so I I would recommend you check that out. Uh, Layla, where can people find you on the internet? I am at L-E-Y-L-S-E-S on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. Um, I write essays and have a webcomic. I will get back to those things soon. As I said last week, taking it a day at a time over here. We've had an insurrection and, you know, it takes a while to piece your life back together after you, you have a couple panic attacks about that. Uh, absolutely. Um, also, our theme song is Obsolete by Keshko from the album Filmmaker's Reference Kit Volume 2. You can find more of their music at keshko.bandcamp.com. Um, normally, we close out our episodes with a quote from the media we consume. If you could, in in lieu of hearing a closer quote, just leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever YouTube, whatever platform you find us on, um, that just says this is the greatest show we would appreciate it um, but uh, this has been I this has been talking with you has been fun uh, so I'm, I'm glad we've done this but uh, audience we'll see you all next time <laughs>